Have you ever thought about a boss as the orchestra leader? Maybe you felt that way yourself. Business leadership does involve interdependent movements, tuning, adjusting, getting everyone in harmony. It's all too easy to wind up sending mixed messages. So let's learn from an accomplished orchestra conductor, a legitimate maestro who now uses what he calls the music paradigm to build business leaders and raise their self-awareness. My conversation with maestro Roger Nirenberg on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. This is the podcast to learn about crafting the right message, building a robust network of messengers to share it, and simple, repeatable management habits that make your organization's everyday conversations a practical way to grow for yourself, for your team, and perhaps an entire organization. One of the most important yet most confusing roles for many organizational leaders is that of message leader. It likely isn't on anyone's business card, but it's a very real thing. Someone has to fill that natural vacuum. So how can leaders know what to say, how to model the right behavior, how to reinforce that effectively across the business? I've seen firsthand in my work with clients that it doesn't work to be laissez-faire, to let everyone make up their own story. That produces inconsistency. Nor does it work to adopt a command and control model. That turns off your potential messengers and often leads to their silence. They won't have the conversations that you wish they would have. It comes down to a balance, bringing order to the process, but also inviting participation. Today, we'll hear a unique perspective on that balance from our very special guest, maestro Roger Nirenberg. He has had a very successful career as music director of both the Stamford Symphony in Connecticut and the Jacksonville Symphony in Florida. He has been a guest conductor for great American orchestras in cities, including St. Louis, Detroit, Baltimore, San Diego, Indianapolis. He is recorded with the London Philharmonic and conducted at both the Prague Spring Festival and the Beijing Festival. Now, all of that is impressive enough, but the seeds that bring Maestro Nirenberg to a podcast about business messaging were planted during his time with the Jacksonville Symphony. He saw that live performances of classical music had been at risk and that orchestras needed the help of local business leaders for their very survival. He began to design experiences to connect local businesses to the orchestra and found that there was great organizational value to the businesses as well. The result is what Maestro Nirenberg now calls the music paradigm, an interactive experience he has led for hundreds of different organizations in more than 20 countries. His clients range from big corporations such as Johnson & Johnson to the NBA's Dallas Mavericks. He wrote a book about this program titled Maestro, A Surprising Story About Leading by Listening. That book was honored in 2009 as the best leadership book from 800 CEO Read. Roger Nirenberg makes his home in New York City and has two children, a son who is a professional pilot and a daughter who is studying French horn. Wonder where she got exposure to that. For the first and perhaps only time in this podcast, I can legitimately say maestro. Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. Thanks, Jim. 
And we find you in New York City today, correct? Yes, that's right. In a moment, I'd like to describe for our listeners what you do in the Music Paradigm program for your business clients. It is fascinating to watch on the videos I've seen. And message managers, we will link to some of those videos in the show notes. But first, I'd like to get behind the scenes a bit on what great orchestral conductors actually do. It's not visible to most of us. I suspect most of us have a very limited view of the conductor's role. We think about the tuxedo and the baton, but not about the other 99.9% of things that they do. I've also imagined that for the expert musicians that you lead, that the conductor is on this pedestal, both literal and figurative. And yet, I heard you once quote a musician who said, the conductor is the natural enemy of the orchestral musician. So, Maestro, what is the source of that tension? That's from the musician's point of view. The conductors never never consider themselves the musician's natural enemy, but the conductor is the one who's making lots of decisions with which the musicians have to comply. It's an easy relationship to cause stress and to cause tension because the experience of sitting in the orchestra and the experience of standing on the podium are so different that frequently they live in different realities, the conductor and the orchestral musician. And if the conductor doesn't make it his or her business to really understand the player's reality very well, the chance is that you're going to be giving directions that make a great deal of sense to you, but when they land in the chair, they really don't make much sense. And then the musicians tend to feel that the conductor is not really the one who's leading to great music, and that in order to make good music, they have to bypass the conductor. That's the way that comes about, and it's a very easy pitfall to fall into. And I imagine the realities of the conductor these days, certainly there's that internal leadership role, but there's also the external face of the orchestra into the community that's the most visible person. In many ways, I suspect that the conductor is the brand of the orchestra as well. And that's a completely different role. And the reality is that that's a, that's a role that conductors need to assume in our society today. But the skills that make you good at that don't necessarily make you good and effective with the orchestra. And I suspect in many ways, we'll continue to draw the parallels that are here because the more kind of peel away the layers of the onion, you see there are lots of ways that leaders and other types of businesses that this is a very comparable way in both their leadership internally and their, their leadership externally to customers and suppliers and their communities. I'd like to talk a little bit about the music paradigm in this program that you have. And I'll try to paint the picture here a little bit and you can fill this in because it really is a transformative type of experience, certainly an eye opener. So in your programs, as I understand it, you would be hired by a corporate client in connection with a meeting they're going to have, you will have met with their their leader or their leadership team ahead of time to learn more about their particular needs and concerns uh, that they're addressing. And so you're then going to be part of that management meeting. It could be in a city where their headquarters are located or where they're having an important meeting. And then you will have arranged to bring in the local orchestra together, I presume at a music hall or opera house, some other setting like that. It frequently can happen in the very hotel where the meeting is taking place. Okay. In a ballroom of that hotel. 
And then the dynamic is that guests typically will have met these musicians maybe an hour or so beforehand. So they're an intact orchestra or components of that, but not your orchestra, correct? Well, they're sometimes an intact orchestra or sometimes they're a collection of freelance players who are just coming together for that particular engagement. They understand the the role of the conductor. They understand their part in all of this. But in other words, they don't have a relationship with you. So they're going to be following your cues during the performance. And that's what makes a lot of these dynamics that you demonstrate, I guess, so profound. And then the business managers, the the people who are participating, you actually have them seated throughout the orchestra next to the musicians, correct? That's true. So they're getting to understand the viewpoint of the musicians and how they are responding to your lead. Or in some cases, you're deliberately showing how not necessarily to lead. So as I understand, you go through some various role plays and demonstrations, and then you will debrief a bit, include discussions with the various musicians who it seems are wonderfully, brutally honest in terms of what they were experiencing and how they were adjusting what they do to your cues. So is this a fair setup for the types of things that happen in the music paradigm? Well, I think you did a really good job. In my preparatory conversations, I try to find out what is the what are the client's aspirations? What are they trying to achieve? What are their ambitions? What are their goals? And then I ask, I want to find out what are the impediments? What's holding them back? What are the challenges that they have? And these are things that, of course, they exist in the real world, but sometimes they're so big that it's really hard to perceive them. But what's great about music is that it condenses life down into something which unfolds much more quickly than life. And therefore, if I can implant in the orchestra spontaneously some of the same behaviors that the organization is trying to get their people to see, or some of the behaviors that they're trying to get them not to do, they can see it. It's much more easy in the orchestra for them to connect the dots about that behavior and to see the relationship between behavior and then the result that it brings about. It's easier to see it there than it is in real life. And the other thing that's great about doing it this way is that because it's just the orchestra and we only talk about the orchestra and how it works, nobody gets defensive about seeing this. Whereas if you were to present it in a much more direct way and tell people, look, this is what we know that you're doing. This is what you ought to be doing. People get, they get resistant to that. No matter how willing they want to be, it's hard for them to really be open to it. But when it's done in a metaphorical way, they are fascinated by the process. They recognize, maybe unconsciously and maybe consciously, they recognize their own foibles and they laugh at them. And In these sessions, there's a lot of laughter because the situation is so inherently ridiculous. With these business executives seated amongst the musicians, they're two very foreign groups and they don't really belong together. But then the more time they spend together, the more they begin to discover that they have a lot in common and that for the participants, the orchestra begins to become this kind of mirror, this metaphorical mirror that as they listen to it, they feel as though they're seeing themselves. And yet, 
they can accept what they're seeing. First of all, it's hard to deny it because the whole thing is so real time and so spontaneous that you can't really argue about it because things actually happened. You're not theorizing about it. It's actually happening right in front of you. And the thing I think that makes it irresistible for the participants is that as the process unfolds and you begin to implant into the orchestra the the success that the organization is trying to bring for itself, the orchestra starts to sound better and the musicians get energized by that and they get fascinated by that. And that is hard not to get caught up in. So the participant organizations tend to come out of it feeling very inspired and refreshed with uh, energy for what they could accomplish. I was thinking about why this paradigm, this exercise, the orchestra itself is such an effective laboratory for business leaders to discover perhaps some blind spots in how they're leading their teams. As you say, you're not dealing with language issues. Music is this common language. You're not dealing with lags in time. It's all unfolding, as you say, in in real time. It's visceral. And you're not getting hung up in people's intentions and their natural defense mechanisms, as you mentioned as well. You can kind of look at what's happening in the orchestra as you're going through these different scenarios. And the leaders have the opportunity to connect the dots and go, oh, now now I'm seeing things in a different way. So is that something you just when you began to come up with this paradigm, with this program of seeing how the orchestra itself is such a great lab for this type of activity? Well, that was something that came to me. Eventually, it wasn't where I began. I began with the realization that the audience for the kind of music that I've devoted my life to is not growing. As a matter of fact, it's diminishing, and I wanted to do something about that. I wanted to give to more people the kind of experience that I had in music, and I fell in love with music sitting in the orchestra. So that's where I wanted to put my audience, and for that reason. It was only after doing it a bit that I began to get this feedback from organizations about how valuable it was to them, and that feedback was so strong that I just couldn't ignore it. And then I began to discover that there was actually a lot of opportunity there. A lot of opportunity for the businesses beyond being a good corporate citizen and patron of the arts, but to actually discover things about themselves. Yes, they don't do this in order to be good corporate citizens or patrons. They do it because they want to be more competitive, because they want to succeed. They want to be more efficient. They want to activate and motivate their workforce. There are many common things. They want to respond more quickly. They want to become more adaptable and agile as an organization. They want to deal with ambiguity and with the changing world. All these kinds of common common issues that many organizations face. And a lot of times they're scratching their heads about how to mobilize what they have. I think the more enlightened organizations recognize that there's more potential in their workforce than what they're able to activate. And they're constantly looking for ways to help their leaders to become inspirational leaders so that the workforce thrives. And let's talk a bit in terms of getting to those behaviors of tapping into some of the latent talents and energy that may be in a a workforce. Let's take the detached leader. It's a delicate thing, you know, because first of all, no leader wants to be detached. 
That's not something they aspire to. It's tempting to kind of like take on cliches. And I want to be much more real than that. I want to find out what's really going on. And so in my conversations with the clients before the sessions, I really probe and I want to find out what's going on. No client has ever told me that their leaders are detached. But what they would say is that we want to improve in employee engagement. In order to compete, in order to innovate, in order to stay current, we need to engage our employees more. We need to mobilize their creativity, and we feel we could do better about that. So then I begin to explore, you know, what is the leadership behavior? And somebody's detached may be somebody who, for example, believes that issuing clear directions is enough, whereas that person, that leader, might not be aware of how important it is to establish the channel of communication before you start delivering your messages through it. They may not be aware of the the power of eye contact and especially the power of listening, of kind of measuring how your people are taking in what it is that you're sending out. So once I've arrived at a kind of an understanding of what's going on through a whole series of questions that I, I ask, then I figure out, well, how can I model that behavior myself? And so during one portion of the session, I will, while conducting the orchestra, I'll announce that I'm going to now model some dysfunctional leadership. And then I will do that in the way I conduct the orchestra. Well, the orchestra, they're so sensitive, they feel it immediately. I look around the orchestra to see the person who's, who's kind of most angry about it, most disconcerted by it. And after we finish, I get the microphone in that person's hands and I ask for them to describe what it's like working with that conductor. And then when the musician tells the truth, as sometimes I need to encourage the orchestra that it's safe to do that, but when they start telling the truth, what happens is the participants get to hear what's being said about them behind their backs that nobody will openly confront them with, but now they're hearing it and in the privacy of their own conscience. They begin to ask themselves, I wonder if I do that. And I think that that's about as deep as you can get people to, to, in terms of stimulating a change in their behavior, because the participants have discovered this themselves. They haven't been told what it is, but they've seen it and then they've discovered it. And the things you discover, you tend to take much greater ownership than the things that you're just told by somebody else. Exactly. Less threatening, more illustrative. So in that particular scenario, the leader who's not providing enough direction to the musicians, and you get a musician or two to talk about that experience and maybe their frustration in trying to do their part in the performance, what are the kinds of things that, uh, that they're typically saying? Well, it all depends upon what I've modeled. Now, in the, the, the case that I was just talking about, it isn't somebody who's not giving clear directions. The directions may be perfectly clear, but the channel of communication is very weak. And therefore, or it's confusing because maybe there's a mixed message. Maybe what you're saying is something that you believe very strongly in. But the way that it's coming across the musicians raises doubts about whether you really mean what it is that you're saying, because there's not really 
a strength of commitment in the presentation of the idea. So one of the things that becomes evident is how easy it is for leaders to send mixed messages without being aware of that. What I'll try to tease out when I have a dialogue with the musicians is how confusing that is and what a quandary it puts them in as to whether they should follow the direction or is this a, one of those directions that is spoken about, but everybody realizes that that's not something that we really do? It's important that the dialogue with the musician probes deeply into what's going on. The thing about the music paradigm, it's not superficial. It's actually, it's very deep. And it goes at to the source of, of where the confusion is and what is the impediment that prevents the organization from from realizing what it possibly could be. That on one hand, and on the other hand, when we then fix the dysfunction and they hear how energized the orchestra becomes and, and how the music begins to soar, that's very compelling. And that's something that you can't really do in real life is to have a, an experiment, a before and after experiment, because businesses are too intent on succeeding and they can't really examine their own failure. That's why the orchestra is is such a great laboratory. And you're able to get that immediate illustration, a bit of cause and effect, and without a, a whole lot of other factors that might be involved. I find in my work with clients that when there is a mixed message or things that aren't clear from the top, that people tend to hesitate. They tend to be overly cautious. They don't know what to say. They don't know if they're saying the right thing. And so in that case, they may say nothing at all. Yeah. And the curious thing is that a mixed message will inject politics into your own organization. Because since there's confusion about what the message really is, then people start looking around to figure out how they're supposed to respond to it. And they start checking, well, this person is seeing it this way and that person is seeing it that way. And then it drives your organization into acting politically, you know, trying to find out, you know, who's for and who's against and creates all this distraction in the organization when you what you really want is execution. Absolutely. I've seen you as well model a different side of the spectrum, the micromanager. So what you would actually be doing as the conductor in that sort of scenario and and then what's a different type of reaction that you get from the musicians the micromanaging conductor is somebody who tends to view the orchestra in a kind of a machine like model or as if the orchestra is an instrument that you play and so the conductor is is metaphorically kind of pushing buttons you know issuing directives, basically telling people how to play. If that seems to make such good sense. If you know how you want the music to go, and then you're telling the musicians, well, do it this way, do it this way, and you're, you're kind of leading them into it in a way that forces them to it, it's hard to see that there's anything wrong with that. But once I conduct that way, and then the musicians begin, I ask for the feedback, I don't ask people to raise their hands or anything. I just hand the microphone to somebody. And it's generally the person that I see who was most troubled by this. And they say, well, you know, first of all, I didn't feel any trust coming from you. I didn't think that you think we're particularly good. You don't give us credit. 
for knowing anything. And in addition to the, all the things that you're telling us is stuff that we already know. And then I'll further the dialogue with the musician so I tease things out. And then you realize what a waste of energy this is because what the workers are getting from the leader is stuff that they don't need. And then we begin to explore, well, what do they need? What would good leadership be? And in this case, it's not telling what people to do. It's much more aspirational. It's much more, what are we trying to achieve? What's the goal? What's the result? What good is it going to do? And it leaves much more to the players what the means are for achieving that. And what the conductor comes to understand as he or she matures is that you actually get closer to what you're trying to achieve when you lead people that way than when you're telling people what to do and how to do it. Message managers, I have often seen the unintended bad consequences of trying to over-engineer the message, of overly scripting it. And particularly these days when we talk about the role of innovation, fresh ideas, knowledge workers bringing all of what they have to offer into a team. And I think that's a, a bit about what you're speaking here about here as well, Maestro, is that you have a vision from the conductor about what they want, but you also have to give some room for people to interpret to put things into their own words, their own skill level, their own comfort level, so it's not inconsistent, but not overly engineered. Well, I think one of the things that comes out is that it's actually very challenging to have a vision for a leader to have a vision, a compelling vision about the, what the organization should do. It's much easier for a leader to just tidy things up and clean things up and fix mistakes and tune it up. The act of seeing a possibility that has not yet happened and having the right possibility that you're the right kind of success that your organization can achieve. And it's the success that your customers and your clients and the society needs from you. That's very creative work. It's very enlightening when they begin to see the difference between real leadership and just managing the operation. And they can see the effect that leadership has when it works well, as opposed to just managing things. The orchestra just kind of defaults into a level of mediocre business as usual. What I've come to see is that that's very common in organizations. With all this wasted imagination and talent and capacity that lies within the organization, but the leaders don't know how to create the circumstances to liberate that. Let's talk about leadership and listening and get that into to better behavior. I think most of us have a gnawing sense that we could be better listeners, more active listeners. I imagine that musicians have a special training or facility in listening. So could you talk about that a bit? How do musicians listen and are there things that the, the rest of us in business could learn from their practices and habits? Well, Jim, you're absolutely right in the way you describe it. Musicians are really good listeners because they've, they've been trained as, almost as soon as they can begin to be able to make sounds to listen when they play duets. And one of the things, for example, that musicians have to do is to play in tune. Everybody knows what it sounds like when music is out of tune, how ugly it is. But in order to play in tune, what you have to do is, first of all, you have to be fully present. You can't be distracted because you won't 
be making the adjustment. The other thing you have to do is you have to value the sum of your contribution plus somebody else's contribution more than just what you want to do. So it's extremely collaborative. It requires for you to be very flexible. So that's the way we routinely listen. What tends to happen in non-musical settings is people tend to go into their own thoughts, the things that they, they want to say, and they kind of suspend their listening and they only half hear what people mean because now they're focusing on how they're going to respond. And all that, it is very easy to see that in music. There are a number of demonstrations where I show the power of listening. I ask the orchestra to play without any conductor. The orchestra shows that they're perfectly capable of doing that. And then I ask them to make changes in the way they do it, to play it in a different tempo or a different style, or there are all kinds of ways that make it sound like a different composer. And the orchestra, with about four or five seconds preparation, shows that they do this, and the tool that they have is the way they listen, the way they collaborate, the way they all go into the present and they make something new and all this rapid negotiation that's going on and it draws on creativity. It's just that it's a very impressive demonstration when you see what people are really capable of when they're really good listeners. We're speaking with maestro Roger Nirenberg, the creator of the music paradigm here on the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm interested in what you've seen working with corporations in comparison to, for example, sports teams. Because in sports teams, I know the Dallas Mavericks is, has been one of your clients, but those types of organizations, teams, have a certain expectation and a certain mindset when it comes to leadership and coaching and keeping score. It may be more or are certainly differently defined than it is for other types of organizations. I'm curious, is that been the case in your experience or are there more commonalities than differences in working with those different kinds of companies? I think there are remarkable commonalities. And when, when I worked for the Mavericks, I did not have the privilege of working with the players. That's an ambition of mine to work with a sports team that I haven't yet realized, but I was working with the, the support organization, the people who do the marketing and the ticket selling and the community relations and all the logistical things, the many logistical things and the financial things, the planning and all that. So that is a kind of a business organization. I think the commonality is that you're trying to create the conditions where people can work together, they can communicate, they can collaborate, and they can leverage each other's strengths so that the organization becomes more than the sum of the parts. And on the other hand, you can demonstrate how when it fragments into units that don't connect, don't communicate, how much is lost. Have you had any major surprises or revelations having done so many of these programs now in the music paradigm or things that have surprised you from when you first began? I think it's there's always revelation, there's always surprise because I customize every session that I do for a particular client. Sometimes people say, well, what we want to know about your theories. But I don't have any theories. What I'm good at is translating what's going on in the organization, as I say, their, their aspiration and their success goals, and also the impediments, how to dramatize them 
in a way that people can understand them and see themselves more clearly. And because I do that afresh for each organization, there's always fascinating things that I see. And then there are remarkable things that happen with the orchestra. So I'm always learning in this process. And that's why I'm just as interested now as when I began the whole thing. This has been fascinating. And I, I'd like to come back as we begin to close. Early in our conversation, we were talking about how the music director for an orchestra is the face of that organization in their community. And that's not something necessarily, I would imagine, a lot of brilliant conductors necessarily have been trained on or even feel terribly comfortable in that role, but it is a necessity. From that standpoint, Roger, are there things that you learned both as a conductor and and in the music paradigm, and I think through leaders of not-for-profit organizations, people who are in fundraising and business development and community relations that are trying to stand out and connect in their communities, advice or guidance that uh, you think might be useful to people in those roles who are doing good things, but also have to be out there influencing and selling to a large degree. That's, of course, is a very important part of the conductor's job. It's not something that I go into while the orchestra is there because it's a different kind of dynamic. But I think about like these wonderful athletes, these superstar athletes, you know, when they begin their careers and they're new, They don't know how to handle the media so well, but they learn. I'm sure that they get coached on it and and then they learn. And after a while, they become really good at projecting the face of the organization. And I think that happens with conductors as well. But that particular expertise is not something that I focus on in the music paradigm. I suppose that if somebody said, well, I want you to coach me on this, I think I might likely say, well, I think you should go to a real expert in that. Even though this is something that I did when I was a music director, I don't feel as though I'm such an expert that I merit the right to teach people about it. Whereas the things that happen within an organization to align and to work better together, that's so akin to what happens in the work that I do with orchestras that I feel that it's not that I have a lot to teach them, because I don't do the teaching myself. It's the situations that I set up do the teaching. And the musicians and their comments, they do the teaching. And then the participants, they connect the dots themselves. So it's a different kind of learning. It's much more energizing, and it lasts longer, and it makes a deeper impression. It's been a great conversation. I would say in terms of things that other people with not-for-profits, community organizations, and the like, can draw from this is the time, Roger, that you spend with clients early on. And you're not coming at them with a prepackaged pitch, but you really know that you can illustrate and provide a really interesting, unique experience, but it is tailored to the particular challenges and opportunities that a corporate client would have. And I I think that could be a takeaway for anyone who has a charitable or a community organization as well as a for-profit about taking what you know, but actually listening to the needs of your clients and prospects and being able to give them something that feels right to them and can help them move forward. 
is very true what you say. I'm very interested in working with those kinds of organizations. I think if it were only business organizations that I worked with, I would feel as though there was a greater contribution that I had to make because those organizations, they, they do incredibly important work and they benefit from getting clarity about how they can uh, mobilize their people just as much as business organizations do. Maestro Roger Nirenberg. There's your book. You do blogging. You have a website. There are some wonderful videos available for people to see the music paradigm in action. How would you recommend that people be in touch with you and see the kind of work that you do? Well, the best way is the website is musicparadigm.com. And that's designed to, you know, help people to understand what it is, because it's a hard concept to really understand. It's easy to misunderstand and to simplify it, but it's actually, it's very sophisticated and it's very deep. And the other thing is that it's, it's very powerful. All of my clients underestimate how powerful it's going to be for their people. They're all kind of shocked afterwards. So there's the, there's the website and then there's the book, as you mentioned, which helps you to understand it better and to deepen, give you more tools and, and more conceptual tools. If people have questions, there's, there's a contact place to contact us and send in the questions. We're very responsive as an organization. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been a, a real pleasure. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. And message managers, thank you for joining the conversation. I was struck by the orchestra, the dynamic between conductor and musicians is such an interesting laboratory for learning about leadership and communication. As Maestro Roger Nirenberg said, it's inherently ridiculous, two groups that don't naturally fit together, but it works. Some of my takeaways, you know, Roger did not originally set out to create a corporate leadership experience. He was trying to build relationships in the Jacksonville business community for the very survival of live classical music performance. But he listened to what executives were needing and he innovated accordingly. I also took away the opportunity for business leaders to discover these communication and leadership patterns to connect the dots on their own. As Roger said, sometimes the directions may be clear, but the channels of communication may be weak or confusing. As he put it, how easy it is for leaders to send mixed messages without being aware of it. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, then please share with friends and colleagues who would also find it valuable. And please subscribe, rate, and review. Those five-star ratings help others to be able to find us. We'll have summaries and links in the episode description. Plus, you can learn more about managing the message at manageyourmessagepodcast.com or jimcarr.com, K-A-R-R-H. I serve clients through consulting, coaching, and advisory work, and I would be happy to talk about the messaging challenges and opportunities you're facing. I'm also a professional speaker specializing in keynotes and breakout sessions and workshops that help everyone grow their business through better messaging. If you know about associations or companies that would benefit from hearing about ways they can manage their message, please put us in touch. My email is jim at jimcard.com. You can also contact me through the website. Thanks again. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at manageyourmessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you 
and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.